know that God is a good creator? All things, all things, bright and beautiful, the Lord God made them all, all. Praise the Lord that God is not just the creator of things outside us, but he is also the recreator of things within us. Did you hear me today? <laughs> that the very word that said, let there be light, is the very word that can say, let there be life in a lifeless heart. What I want to do today is turn our eyes to Jesus. And uh, we're going to dig into the word this morning. I want to be able to say a prayer with us. But, um, but as we do, I wonder, do you know the chorus of that hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus? Yeah, do you think we could sing that together? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim. In the light of his glory and grace. Let's pray together. Father, you are the creator. Your power is immeasurable and completely unimaginable. God, we try to wrap our minds around that, that time when you saw this earth dark, formless, completely void and empty, and you simply stepped into the scene and said, let there be. Father, we have no idea how powerful and majestic you are, but as we turn our eyes upon you, we just want to see you more clearly today. Father, we realize that there are things in our own experience from day to day, the grind of the routine, that that clearly overshadow or, or take our eyes away from you. But right now, we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would fix our eyes on Jesus today. Amen. And so that's our whole goal. As we open up these pages, we give you the green light to speak life into our hearts. Maybe there's darkness there. Maybe there's formlessness and a void that you want to step into today. And so we give you that green light today, Father. And we're thanking you by faith that you're going to do it and that you've already set things in motion to do it. Because we pray in the saving name of Jesus, let everyone say, Amen. Amen. All right. We're going to go to Mark chapter 5 eventually. But before we get there, let's go to Revelation chapter 3. Can you do that? Revelation chapter 3 and verse... 20. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. Revelation is the last book of the Bible. It is the revealing of Jesus. And in chapters 2 and 3, Jesus himself is giving specific, tailor-made messages to seven groups of people, seven churches, right? By the end of chapter 3, we're coming to a message that Jesus has tailor-made for a group in a city called Leo what? Laodicea, yeah, all right. Their issue is that they're lukewarm. Their issue is that they're in complete need of Jesus, but they have no idea that they need Jesus. And in chapter 3, verse 20, if you're there, say amen. amen. All right. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, the very first word Jesus says is, Behold. 
In other words, check it out. <laughs> Listen up. And he says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will, what? Come into him and dine with him and he with me. Now remember, this is a message to a group. Multiple people. Yet he's saying specifically now, if any one hears my voice, I will come into him or her and dine with him. Candlelit dinner, flowers galore, whatever, you know, I don't know what's in your, in your head when you picture that. But Jesus wants intimate time with you and me when we simply open the door. Do you realize, friends, that our God is a personal God? In other words, God is not just the God of the masses. God is the one who meets us as an individual. God is the one who knocks on our heart door personally so he can know us intimately. Friends, this month, we're going to be going through certain messages throughout the month. Just you and me, personal encounters with a personal God. Do you believe that this morning, God is not just interested in a group date with you and I? <laughs> he really wants personal, one-on-one -on -one time with you and I. And so this month, the question that we're asking God is, okay, if you want to knock and I open the door, what happens next? If I open the door, what is it that will take place? What do you want to do when it's just you and me and I'm personally encountering the personal God? That's what we're exploring this month. And to do that, we're going to start, we're actually going to look at stories in the Gospel of Mark. All right? So all month, we're looking at stories in the Gospel of Mark. And today, we're looking at Mark chapter 5. So go ahead and turn there now to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, I've probably said this in the past, but Mark is, it, it's right, yeah, it ranks right up there as my favorite gospel. They say that Mark is the gospel for the ADD generation, all right? There's something about Mark, if you start from beginning, chapter 1, and go on, you get this idea that Mark just can't stop talking about Jesus, right? It's story after story, and those stories are short and compact, and his favorite word is immediately. Immediately Jesus did this, and when he said this, immediately the demon left, and immediately he was saved, and immediately, and immediately, and immediately, and it's as though he's, a, he's one of those kids that has just learned how to tell stories and make stories up, and he just can't not stop. Mark gets to the point. He keeps his message compact, but every now and then, he slows down, he takes a breath, and he says, let me tell you about this. And in Mark chapter 5, it's one of those stories he busts it all out. I don't know if you have photo albums or pictures on your phone or your computer or whatever, and you've got pictures from maybe one month over here or a couple pictures from a certain day here, but then there's one event where you just took hundreds and dozens of pictures. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, you just busted out that digital camera and you, I, I don't need to pay for film. I'm just, you know, just rapid speed, rapid shoot, and you've got pictures because for some reason that event just... It means so much to you. And in Mark chapter 5, this is one of those when Mark just had rapid-fire snapshots going on. 
So Mark chapter 5. If you're there, say, I'm there. All right, Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, the story says this. Then they came to the other side of the sea. Who is they? Any guesses? Jesus and the disciples. Very good. They came to the other side. The other side of what? Other side of the Sea of Galilee, all right? It, just in the previous story, at the end of chapter 4, verse 35, it says in chapter 4, verse 35, on the same day when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. All right, so Jesus has commanded, let's cross. He gets in a boat, goes across the Sea of Galilee. And apparently the Sea of Galilee is 600 feet below sea level. It's a basin of a body of water, and it's surrounded by foothills and mountains that are relatively high. So if there are cold winds coming from the north side, they just happen to sweep every now and then to the extent that that little Sea of Galilee, 600 feet below sea level, actually gets whipped up into a mad storm. And do you know that story at the end of chapter 4? There's a storm that catches the disciples, and what is Jesus doing? He's sleeping. I love that. I love that. Jesus is a man of peace. And when the disciples have no idea what's going to happen to their lives, they're fearing the storm. They say, Jesus, we're dying. <laughs> and what does Jesus do? Wipes the sleep out of his eyes. Hush. <laughs> peace. Be still. Just picture Jesus. And the disciples, it says at the end of chapter 4, it says, verse 41, they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? So their fear of the storm turns into a fear of the Savior. What? Who are we keeping company with? It's one who has power over natural forces out there. Jesus is greater. And now in chapter 5, there's a new challenge. Is Jesus greater than the spiritual forces in here? And that's what Mark wants to slow down and tell you all about. Mark chapter 5, verse 1, the Bible says, Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. I'm reading from the New King James. Verse 2, And when he had come out of the boat, immediately, there it is, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. Now, what typically resides in tombs? Dead bodies, okay? So if you're seeing something coming out of the tombs, that's usually not um, a good association in your mind, right? Okay, so the disciples and Jesus, they see this man coming out from the tombs. Apparently, verse 3, he had his dwelling among the tombs who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains. Verse 4, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles had been broken in pieces, neither could anyone tame him, and always. Are you getting the picture of this man's life? Not much of a life at all. Verse 5, and always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. Your heart kind of goes out to this man. How bad could life get that all you can do is cry out for help, but no one can possibly help? 
How bad can life get that all you can do is remain among the tombs and cry out night and day and cut yourself to remind yourself that you're actually still alive? Friends, this is a picture of life without Jesus. It's really a devastating and miserable picture. Think about this. It's a picture of tension, actually, because he's very strong, right? No one can bind him. He breaks every chain and shackle. He's very strong, but really, he's very weak. He's completely free. No one can tame him. But really, he's a slave. There's this picture of tension, and this is the picture of life without Jesus. We may think that, ah, no one can tell me what to do, But when we start living that way, friends, you and I become slaves to sin. Do you understand that picture? That's why Paul, in Romans chapter 7, verse 24, he cries out. He says, O wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from this body of death? And so here we see this demon-possessed individual, totally not himself, totally under the control of something outside of himself. And he cannot do anything about it. But according to verse 6, according to verse 6, who did he see? He sees Jesus. Verse 6, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and what? And worshipped him. Whoa. (laughs) So here's this demon-possessed man. All he can do, night and day, crying out in the mountains and tombs, destroying himself because he just wishes that he could end his existence. And suddenly he sees hope, and his name is Jesus. And he runs, and he runs, and the Bible says he worshipped him, literally bowed down before him, laid himself flat, face down to the ground. He fell down before Jesus. So I'm not quite sure what time of day this is. You know, he start, Jesus and the disciples started crossing the sea at evening. Maybe it took all night. So, so you've got the morning light, and from a distance, the man can see the shape of Jesus, the form of Jesus, and says, there's someone there that can actually help me. And he runs, bows down before him, and he meets Jesus. Now we're talking about personal encounters with a personal God. And you're thinking to yourself, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. (laughs) Jesus and the guy, they weren't by themselves. The disciples were right there. Or were they? Take a look again at verse 1. Take a look again. Verse 1, it says, Then who came? Then who? They came. Okay, so Jesus and the disciples. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. But what does verse 2 say? And when who came out? It says Jesus climbed out. What happened to the they? (laughs) So he comes out, but they stay in the boat. Do you get the idea there? Remember, the the demon-possessed man, he's crying out night and day. People can hear him probably from the towns miles away. Okay, He can see Jesus from afar, and I'm sure, I'm sure the disciples can see him from afar. (laughs) So they know what's coming. They're pulling up to the shore. Hey, John, I don't know about this one. This doesn't look like a good idea. (laughs) Uh, Jesus, Jesus. And Jesus gets out. Disciples huddle up. (laughs) 
Let's see what happens. Okay. <laughs> so Jesus comes out, and here's this man falling before him. So we have a picture of a man who is in desperate need of Jesus. And what I love about this picture that Mark paints, if we're, if we're looking at a snapshot here of this scene, I love the fact that Jesus meets him anyway. That Jesus is not afraid of your mess or mine. So no matter what chains, no matter what bondage, no matter what slavery, no matter the track record, no matter the depression, no matter how deep the valley or how bad the storm, Jesus is unafraid of your mess or mine. So check this out. When Jesus comes to our shore, we can come as we are. That's truth number one. When Jesus comes to our shore, when he meets us personally, when he comes and he knocks on that door and says, will you let me in? When he's coming to our shore, we can come as we are. Thank you, Mark, for that beautiful picture. And so when he does, verse 6, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. Verse 7, and he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. Whoa, 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 what just happened? This man saw hope and he ran to hope and his name was Jesus. This man worshipped Jesus, but now the words that are coming out of his mouth are not the words of his heart, but they're the words of another force that has taken over his heart. Ah, oh, this, this, this battle is very real, friends. I don't know if you realize this, but spiritual warfare is reality. We live day by day, we go routine, you know, we see things here and there, and, you know, it's happy-go-lucky, etc., etc., nice pansies, roses, whatever. But the reality is there's an unseen world, and this man was in the throes of it. He wanted help, but he didn't even know how to cry for help. He says, what have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. Verse 8, for he said to him, come out of the man, unclean spirit. Now notice this, verse 9. Then he asked him, what is your name? Now, I'm not going to prescribe that any of us have conversations with spiritual darkness. Please, please. Only Jesus can be Jesus. Okay, friends? So here's Jesus, son of the Most High God. He says, what is your name? And he answered saying, my name is what? Legion, for we are many. Do you know what a legion is? A legion, it's the largest unit of the Roman army, upwards to 6,000 soldiers. So the very fact that this demon, or community of demons, calls themselves legion, you know that they're thinking multiplicity. They're thinking many, many layers, lots and lots. And it says, we are legion. my name is legion, for we are many. Verse 10, also he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Some, for some reason, they had some territorial assignment. And verse 11, it says, now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. So all the demons begged him, saying, send us to the swine that we may enter them. Do you, do you see that even a legion of demonic forces has to submit to the Son of the Most High God? Jesus is greater. 
okay? Jesus is greater than he that is in this world. And it says in verse 13, and at once Jesus gave them permission. All right, all right, go ahead. Then the unclean spirits went out, entered the swine, and in parentheses my Bible says there were about 2,000. Now, I'm not sure if there was one demon per pig. I'm not sure what, what, what happened there. But there were enough to make the crowd of pigs, that herd of pigs, do something very destructive. And according to the rest of the verse, verse 13, it says, And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. And you know, as I was meditating on this this week, I realized... If the legion really wanted to, I, I bet that that was the actual design for the demon-possessed man. That the legion would have run that man into the sea, drowned him to death. But there was something in the heart that said, no, I need Jesus and I'm going to fall down and worship him. And so here instead, these innocent creatures are, are, are drowned in the sea. Now notice this. So those who fed the swine fled and they told it in the city and in the country. Okay, this is a story. This is breaking news, okay? You know, this isn't something you see every day. Whoa, whoa, you know, I had 2,000 swine. What did you do today? Well, I was feeding my swine, and then they all ran into the sea. You know, that, that just doesn't happen. <laughs> and so he, they're going out, telling it all over the place. You got to come check this out. I don't know how long it took them to spread the news. They didn't have text messages. They didn't have Twitter, whatever it was. Uh, they took time to spread the news. According to verse 14, told it in the city and in the country, and they went out. So people responded. They went out to see what it was that had happened. So they hear about this great catastrophe. Oh man, my whole pig industry went down the tubes. Come see what happened. Oh, so they all come. Right? Misery loves company. So, so they all come out. They're waiting to see this great catastrophe, but instead they see this great cure. In verse 15, it says, Then they came to Jesus. <laughs> then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion, sitting and clothed and in his right mind. Sitting and clothed and in his right mind. We're talking transformation. Here was a man who had no hope, who all he could do was cry out, cut himself, run around in tombs. And suddenly, because Jesus came to his shore, he has been restored. He's been restored. He's not running around in tombs. He's sitting. He doesn't have broken chains all over him, torn up clothes. He's clothed. He's not insane. He's in his right mind. This is, this is the power of Jesus, friends. The disciples saw it before. They were in the boat. They saw those, the stormy sea. They saw the wind and the waves. And they said, who is this that has power over the natural forces? And now they see, who is this that has power over demonic forces? He's sitting and he's clothed and in his right mind. 
Do you realize, friends, that if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. <laughs> if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. I don't know. I don't know what your bondage is. I don't know what tombs you've been running around in. I don't know what stones you've been using to prick your heart, or just to remind yourself that life is, is still a reality. I, I don't know. But Jesus, when he comes to your shore, he has power to restore. And he'll do it. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has set you free. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Here's the thing. Jesus has set us free. And when he meets us on our shore, when he meets us one-on-one, -on -one, when we actually hear him knocking and we open that door and he has that personal time with you and I, Jesus' primary objective is to restore the image of God in you and me. He wants to renew the hard drive in your mind. He'll do it. According to Romans chapter 12, verse 2, he can transform the mind by the renewing of it so that we're not conformed to the pattern of this world, but instead transformed by the renewing of the mind. Only Jesus can do it, and when he meets you on your shore, he's got power to restore. And so the picture of Jesus is, is powerful. It's beautiful. I don't know. I, you know, what, what takes place between verse 14 and verse 15, you just kind of have to fill in the gaps, right? Verse 14, people are spreading abroad the news that, oh, my pigs died. And then somewhere along the line, Jesus actually has this man, and he's able to sit him down. I'm not sure where he got the clothes. Maybe he talked to that huddling group in the boat and said, hey, someone give me a cloak, you know? So Peter throws, I don't know what. That, that belt that made John's hips look wide, I'm not sure. It, he, they got it over, he's clothed, and he's in right mind. Only Jesus can do that. Those promises, you know, the Old Testament promise, I think it's Ezekiel 36, verse 26, I will give them a new heart. I will take out their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. That's real, friends. Jesus can do that. You think you've got stuff that you can't get rid of? Jesus can. <laughs> you think you've got bondage that you'll never get free from? Jesus can. And that's the point. When Jesus comes and he meets you, he wants to meet you to restore you. And he'll rewrite the hard drive. He says in Jeremiah 31, he says, I will write my laws upon their hearts. I will put them on their minds. He will rewrite the hard drive in you and me because Jesus has power to restore. And so the story continues, verse 15, in a somewhat ironic way. Okay, so in verse 15, towards the end, sitting and clothed and in his right mind, but it says this, and they were afraid. All right, we already knew the disciples were afraid. But this they in verse 15, it's the they, the people that came from the town and said, hey, let's check out what happened to these pigs. They come to Jesus, they see, wait a minute, this guy used to be crying out night and day. Whoa, whoa, he used to be on my alarm clock at five in the morning. What? This guy is sitting and clothed in his right mind. You're responsible for this? What kind of power is this? And they're afraid. Now notice in verse 16, 
And those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. Verse 17, Then they began to plead with him to what? To depart from their region. According to Luke's version of this story, in Luke chapter 8, it says they were seized and gripped with fear. Whoa, 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 whoa. Here's the ironic reality. Jesus has all the power in the world to bless, to free, to rescue, to restore. Jesus has all that power, yet for some reason, we can respond in one of two ways. We can respond like the man who just fell down and worshipped him, or we can say, please get out of here. And that's the ironic tragedy. Are we afraid of the power of God to save and restore? If we are, why are we? Is it because the things that might change, we actually would rather cherish Oh, and here's this people that would just rather have Jesus get out. Their hearts are even more hardened than the man who was demon-possessed. And in verse 18, Jesus is the perfect gentleman. He actually respects that choice. And it says, when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be what? With him. Oh, don't, don't leave me here by myself. Don't leave me here. I know what this place is like. This is how I got in that mess in the first place. Just let me come. So I'm not sure, you know, it doesn't say exactly what was motivating the, the demon-possessed, or the ex-demon-possessed man's desire to be with Jesus. Maybe it was gratitude. Maybe it was love and loyalty. Oh, you've done so much for me. Let me just be with you. Maybe it was fear. Fear of backsliding. Fear of going back to the very same thing. Whatever the case. Jesus has a different perspective than this individual. Notice. However, verse 19, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go home. What? That's the mess that I came from. <laughs> he says, no, 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 no. Sometimes you think, sometimes you think that the best way to, to, to uh, secure and maintain it is to just to get away from it all. It's the escapist mentality. But Jesus has a different perspective. No, no, no. Go home because your story is what they need. He says, go home to your friends. Literally, the Greek says, to yours, to those that you would call your own, whether it's friends, family, the people in your sphere of influence. Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. Oh, man. And so in verse 20, that man is submissive to Jesus. He says, okay, okay, okay. Jesus obviously knows what he's doing. <laughs> he sat me down. He clothed me. He put me in his right mind. Maybe he knows what he's talking about. In verse 20, it says, and he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis. Now, Decapolis is a, is a name of a region. It's called Ten Cities. De dec deca, like Decalogue, or Decathlon, you know, the ten things, the ten events. Decapolis, all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. Whoa. So here we see, yes, when Jesus comes to our shore, we can come as we are. That's, that's first and foremost. When Jesus comes to our shore, he has power to restore. That's second. He, he wants to transform. He wants to rescue. He wants to put us in our right minds. And this third, when Jesus comes to our shore, he gives us a story to share. 
That's why Jesus wants to knock at your door. That's why Jesus wants to actually come in. He wants you to be able to be yourself, to come as you are, mess, chains, bondage, and all. But he will not leave you there. He'll wrap your arms around you. He'll sit you down and clothe you with something else. The robe of righteousness. He'll restore you to your right mind. And he doesn't just want you to hide out in seclusion. When he comes to your shore, when he comes to my shore, when he meets us individually and personally, he actually gives us a story to share. And so this man was able to tell a story that nobody else could. And because of that, the next time Jesus came to the Decapolis, people weren't pushing him out. People were bringing others to him to heal. Why? Maybe it was because there was a man who said, you know what, I don't know why you're afraid of Jesus, but I'll tell you what he did for me. And that story changed the area. So Jesus wants to come to your shore. Question today, do you want him to come in? Do you want him to come in? Now, in your bulletins, maybe you've, you've already found this thing. It's called the Connect Card. If you, if you did not get one or if you, if you would like to have one, just go ahead and raise your hand. We've got a few deacons who would, will be able to stock you with that. And let's do that very quickly. I've come to, uh, to appreciate more and more that when Jesus presents the truth, let's do this quickly. So if you, if you don't have a card and would like one, please raise your hand high and we'll get, we'll get one to you. All right? Okay, looks like we've got one pretty well distributed. All right. But here's the reality. I've come to realize that when Jesus presents truth, it's not just truth to know. It's truth to act upon. Wouldn't you agree? If I said a truth like this, hey, potluck is ready. Okay? <laughs> if, if the truth is that potluck is ready, what action are you inclined to take? Well, let me dig in. Yeah. <laughs> All right? If, oh, a little bit more serious of a situation, let's say you're at home, and I, I knock on the door and say, hey, uh, your backyard is on fire. Okay? What action are you inclined to take at that point? Either you get out, you call 911, or whatever it might be, okay? Maybe you start picking up your cat and dogs. Okay, so here's the point. Truth, when it's true, often involves a response. And so this month we're doing something a little different. We're going to have these, hopefully, every week a connect card for you to be able to respond. And so if you haven't already, go ahead and fill out your information as much as you feel comfortable with on the one side. And then on the back, let's turn our attention to that. Let's turn our attention to the back, the back where you've got one box that says, uh, my next step today is, and then the box on the right says, I am interested in. All right. Now go ahead, start filling in that information if you so please. If you're interested in information on baptism, please check that. We want to know. We want to be able to help you prepare for that. We want to be able to study with you. If you're in, uh, interested in information on church membership or receiving Bible studies, go ahead, check those out. We have people who would be happy to give you Bible studies. If you're interested in participating in a ministry, we want you to be part of the team. We want you to be involved. We want, don't want you to feel as though spectatorship is your only role in membership, all right? So, so Feel free, please. We, we actually are in need of more leaders, of more volunteers. So go ahead and tell us what you're interested in. 
But that box on the left, the box on the left is what I want us to point our attention to right now. My next step today. If you've seen the truth of this story, that Jesus really does want to come to your shore, then friends, check any of those boxes that apply. Let's take a look. The first one says, I choose to come to Jesus as I am. Can you say amen to that? I choose to come to Jesus as I am so he can restore me to who I was created to be. If that's your desire, if that's your decision, check it, put a smiley face around it, circle it really big, whatever it is. The second one is this. Each day this week, I will carve out unhurried time to be alone with God. Again, this, is, this story we saw, it's, it was just Jesus and the man. And Jesus did all of that in that time alone with him. And friends, I fear, I fear that some of us have gotten in the habit of encountering God only on occasion, when God really wants to meet us every day. And so if that's your decision, each day this week I will carve out unhurried time to be alone with God. You're not content with just meeting God in a group. You want to meet with God one-on-one. Then go ahead and make that decision. Be intentional. Carve it out in your calendar, whether it's the first 15, 20, 30, 60 minutes in your day. Whatever it might be. Carve it out. The last one there. The last one there is, I will seek an opportunity this week to share with someone else what great things God has done for me. Here's the reality, friends. Your story may seem simple. Your story may even seem small. But if it is God's work in you, it is a great work. Did you hear that? If it's God's work, it's a great work. If he did it, it's worth sharing. There may be someone in your sphere of influence that is dying to know that Jesus actually has power to save. There may be someone who is dying to know that Jesus actually does answer prayer or that Jesus does provide what I need. Whatever your story is, I believe God wants to, God gave you that story so that you could share that story. So go ahead and check that. Now, I, there's, there's, a, there's a fourth option here that is not there on the card, but it's in my mind. I've been talking with uh, one of our leaders here at the church, and he's been praying about this idea that he has, at this point, he's called it a Grateful Survivor's Registry. <laughs> Let me explain that. The idea behind it is this. Each of us has had experiences with God. Some of us have gone through extreme valleys, extreme tragedies, and losses, maybe addictions and destructive habits. But by the grace of God, you've come out on the other side as victorious. There may be some of us in this congregation who are on the other side, triumphing in Christ. And you know what? We want to give you the opportunity to actually be able to share that story with someone who may be in the thick of it. And so, if you have an experience where God, by His grace, has brought you out on the other side, whether it may be an experience of loss, whether we're talking about a tragedy in relationships or or, or addictions or whatever it might be, if you would like to be someone that can be called upon as a prayer partner or as a friend to support, an individual who may be in the very same situation you were in. 
then we want to keep a very confidential and sensitive registry of grateful survivors. Do you get the picture there? Um, again, the details are, are, are to be worked out, but if that's something you're interested in, I would go ahead and, you know, in that right where it says participating in a ministry such as, if you've got an experience and you want to be a grateful survivor that can minister to someone who's hoping to be a survivor, go ahead and put in the blank lines there. I'm interested in participating in a ministry as the Grateful Survivors Registry, okay? I want to give you that opportunity to share. And as you're filling out this card, maybe you're still contemplating the decisions. Um, my wife is going to be playing a song for us. And as she does, uh, yeah, let the Holy Spirit speak through that. And go ahead and indicate what your decision is today. Took this microphone. New songs create all to bring you glory. The autumn cool turns the leaves, the river runs to join the sea, the lily blooms. The sparrow sings all to bring you glory and how much more can I tell of who you are when jealously you sought me out and won my heart and now by love redeemed I tell my story all to bring you glory A promise kept to Abraham, the sea you turned into dry land. The prophet's word reveals your plan, all to bring you glory across the world. The nation sing by mercy. Healed by grace, set free, and all for you, beautiful King, all to bring you glory. So, how much more can I tell of who you are when jealously you sought me out? and won my heart and now by love redeemed i tell my story all to bring you glory and now by love redeemed i tell my story all to bring you glory the Lord.
God's given you a story to share. <laughs> and it's not a story to, uh, to keep to yourself, friends. There's someone. There's someone who needs to know that they can be set free. And because he set you free, you can be God's instrument of grace and change. And so, yes, seek opportunities to share amongst your sphere of influence this week. I would urge you, because there are thousands, hundreds and thousands who are looking wistfully to heaven, wondering, how can I ever be saved? But God wants to use you. God wants to use you. Let's bow our heads together. Father in heaven, what a privilege it is to know that you would actually knock on our heart door, not just as a group, but as an individual. Me, who am I? Who am I that you would be mindful of me? Father, you are good, and your love endures forever. And today we see that your power can overcome any difficulty, any struggle, any lifelong bondage. Lord, we pray that if there are those among us who are in a dark night of sorts, that I pray that in the name of Jesus and by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would break the clouds, you would calm the sea, and you would set hearts free today. Jesus, we confess your name. Those who call upon the Lord shall not be disappointed. And so, God, we're calling upon you today. Thank you for the freedom we have in Christ. Father, as we walk out of this place, we ask that you would make us missionaries, that you would make us proclaimers of your goodness and of your grace. As we fellowship with each other, may we minister to each other's needs. Lord Jesus, please draw near to us as we draw near to you. And on this Sabbath and throughout this week, use us powerfully. We pray in Christ's saving name, let everyone say Amen. Amen. As you're dismissed today, our deacons will have baskets in which you can just submit your, your connect cards. So please, um, you, can, you can submit that as you walk out. Blessings to you. Happy Sabbath.